Welcome to this bonus episode of Women of the Military podcast in partnership with the Military Officers Association of America, MOA. Since 1929, MOA's mission has been to protect your earned military benefits through tireless advocacy. They have forged a legacy of success benefiting the entire military community. But what does that really mean for you being a member? This week, I'm talking with retired Brigadier General Sylvia Crockett, and she talks about her experience of serving in the military and what it was like to be a member and how she stays involved through MOA, through the pivotal information provided through email updates, the monthly magazine, and the other great transition resources and grants and scholarships available. If you are currently serving or have served in the military as an officer, you can join MOA today at www.moaa.org slash for the people. Now let's get started. You're listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm Amanda Huffman. I'm an Air Force veteran, author of Women of the Military, and a collaborative author of Brave Women, Strong Faith. I am also a military spouse and mom. I created Women of the Military podcast as a place to share stories of military women past and present with the goal of finding the heart of the story while uncovering the triumphs and challenges women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Welcome to the show, Sylvia. I'm excited to have you here. Well, thank you. I appreciate the invite. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? You know, that's such a big question, and there's so many reasons I started. I decided to join the military, but the bottom line is is that I had an older brother who was in the Army, and uh, he got hurt right before he went to Vietnam, so he was discharged, and that was probably my initial exposure. But uh, ultimately, as when I was uh, probably in my early 20s, I uh, went to go work for the California National Guard. And I never even heard of the California National Guard, quite frankly. And I went over there and I was a state civil servant. And after working there for some time and getting to know different people and understanding what the mission was, I got very energized and I joined the Air National Guard because I think because the Guard is such a community-based organization. And I have very, very close ties to my community that I grew up in, even now that I no longer live there. So I joined and Ultimately, it became, I'm going to say, an international venture because I was able to, you know, go different places and serve in different places and so forth. So that's why I joined. Yeah. And that's pretty interesting that you were working as a civil servant and then you you learned about the military and then you were like, I'm going to do this. So that's really cool that you found it that way. Yeah, it was a very, very welcoming place. And I think when I joined, one of the uh, probably the most positive impacts on my entire career was a gentleman by the name of Lieutenant Colonel Ralph Page. And he had nine children. And so oftentimes when he talked to me at work, he would say, oh, I forgot. I feel like I'm talking to a child of mine because I was so so much younger than him. He provided a lot of mentorship and really encouraged me to join. And, and then he actually encouraged me to go on to OCS when I switched from the Air Guard to the Army Guard. So it turned out to be a, a whirlwind and a very, very pleasant one at that. 
That's so great to hear that you had a mentor so early on and that he was able to take you under his wing like you were one of his kids. So that's really cool. Is there any particular aspect from your career that you are proud of? I think probably the culminating event in my career was I was promoted to Brigadier General. And I was the first Latina in the Guard, in the National Guard. If I'm not mistaken, I might be misspeaking here, but I believe I was the first actual Latina to be promoted to Brigadier General. And because of that, I was able to, I want to say, sit at tables that I wasn't previously able to sit at. And and by doing that, I was able to shape decisions and, and ultimately able to provide I say mentorship to a lot of different people. And that was very important to me. And in and in my path, on my path to Brigadier General, I actually commanded the 223rd Infantry Brigade, which is a basically a schoolhouse. And we trained so many people that came from across the entire United States. And I feel like I had a lasting impact on those people and a lot of my personal values and the way that I saw things I was able to impart. And so I feel like I had an impact throughout the United States by being that commander there. I'm sure you did. And I'm sure that women and men who were Latina felt empowered by seeing you up there. And you probably had an impact that you don't even realize how you touch people's lives yeah. through what you did. Yeah, yeah you're right. That was probably the biggest issue. You know, attaining the rank is all, always a good thing. But uh, even today, I have people who call me from the guard and they ask my opinion on things. And so I feel like I'm still mentoring them. But I still am very much involved in different organizations and a lot of Latino organizations. And as such, people always want to introduce me as Brigadier General Sylvia Crockett. And I remind them that I've been retired for a while. But the different organizations just like me being there and like saying that because it's shows that, you know what, everybody can reach what they strive for, but they simply have to strive for it. So how did you get involved in the Military Officers Association of America? Years ago, I think I may have been a lieutenant or a captain. We were uh, told there were different organizations. You have the organization that represents the California National Guard. All states have National Guard associations. And they also, uh, we are also told about MOAA. And so I joined when I think I was a lieutenant or a captain. And I remained a pretty... um, I'm going to say active member, more of a recipient, getting the information and using the information till I retired. And when I retired, my husband and I were both retired and he was an active member. So we both basically benefited from it and, and were able to learn about things that were current and pass that on. Yeah. And you talked that you and your husband are both retired military and so you're both members and so that's kind of an interesting dynamic. I thought it was interesting in the emails back and forth when we talked about how you guys are both members and so it's it's an interesting dynamic to both be prior service. My husband was in the army. He was a colonel when he retired and so I was able to stay in the guard. We actually had kind of figured it out where he would retire earlier than me. So anyway, he retired as a colonel. He had opportunities beyond that, but he decided to retire. And I stayed in. And as such, we both get information. My husband uh, was an avid consumer of the Army Times. He used to read the Army, you know, read the Army information on a regular basis. And over the years, it's winged, but we still get the MOAA magazine and we get the information online. And we read that all the time because it just keeps us current. Yeah. Would you say that the information and the magazine is the biggest benefit from MOA or is there something else that you guys really like? 
Well, I think the information is probably the most powerful because it keeps you current. And um, and if you are, you know, interested in supporting various issues like writing letters to support legislation and or talking to your local legislative staff, then you can do that. And it's simply reading a magazine. And so so for me, that's the most important. But the other thing that I think is critically important about MOA is that their lobbying power, that, you know, they seek out those issues that are pertinent to serving members and serving and past members. And then they lobby, you know, our Congress for them. And, and that is critically important, especially when you start to become removed from the organization, such as I say the organization mean the military affiliation, because we all know we can go to the commissary and we get health care and so forth and so on. But those benefits oftentimes can change. And MOA is at the forefront of that type of endeavor. And they are able to help, I think. Well, they are. They very they are very impactful on making sure that the benefits remain available to us. Yeah. And the first two interviews I did with Aniela and with Rachel, we talked about Aniela was a lobbyist. And so she talked about some of the work that she did and the the impact that MOA had on Capitol Hill. And then Rachel is a council member and she talked about storming the hill and what MOA is doing. And so it's if you want to learn more about the lobbying part, definitely go back and listen to those episodes because I found those just so interesting to hear about all the lobbying. And I think you're right, MOA plays a really important role in lobbying and getting our voice heard in Congress and to make sure that the benefits that we have stay or that they get better and not worse. Exactly. And quite frankly, when I retired, right before I retired, I was the director of strategic communications for the California National Guard. California is one of the largest guards out there. And so I had the opportunity to work with various people to, you know, make sure that there was legislation, not only that would impact California, support California, but oftentimes it would be more of a nationwide issue. And uh, MOA was one of the resources that I used. You know, I would simply look it up to see what they were doing, see what they were doing, because they they remain very, very current on health care, pay benefits, and also different types of services that are available to us once we retire. And so if I was pursuing something, for instance, the health care benefits for a reserve component are a lot different than an active component member. And so when we first started that initiative in California, MOA was one of the resources that we used. Yeah, they're doing such great work and it's so important. So I think you talked about it a little bit. You said that you use some of their programs. Were there any particular programs MOA was involved in that you think veterans, service members, or their families should know about? You talked about the reserve health care, but is there anything else? Well, I think that the families, especially those that are separating from the service, be it retirement or they're simply moving on, I think they need to really pay attention to those benefits that are available because they have educational benefits that are available. You know, there's criteria, obviously, but they have lots of educational benefits that you can get a scholarship, you can get an interest-free loan, a grant, etc. So that's a great program. But the one that I really like is the educational and I'm going to say resume writing, you know, converting your military resume to a civilian resume. And then MOA now, when I got out, was not at the time, but MOA is, is connected with LinkedIn. So you can put information in there and there's a way to communicate with others that are pretty much in your same 
same boat, if you will. So there are a lot of benefits that are available for not only the members, but also the spouses. So that's what I think would be most important. But I have to tell you, I just have to emphasize the, the information. Because just going through and looking at, maybe not even reading the entire magazine or update, but just going through and looking at those things that are of interest to you, you know, as a person who is otherwise not, that doesn't have that type of stuff available at their at their fingertips, it's a great place to go and it'll point you in various directions. Yeah, there's so many resources, especially for those transitioning out of the military. I was, I've been doing a lot of research about MOA as I've been working on this project and I keep going to their website and I'm like, there's more stuff. And like for the longest time, I really thought the work that they did was just like the information that they put out and some of the stuff they did on Capitol Hill, but I had no idea how vast. And the tool of being connected with LinkedIn, that's so important for people transitioning right now. So it shows how they're always adapting and on the cutting edge and on the front of the technology. So that's awesome. It is. It is. I will tell you, one of the the biggest benefits, as I said, was for me and my husband both is the information. But for me, I'm always looking at the different aspects of healthcare because one of my assignments, I was the Army Chief and that was, you know, I don't know, probably 15 or 20 years ago. But at the time uh, that I became the G1, we were just starting to deploy vast numbers to Iraq and Afghanistan. And so we would deploy these soldiers. And when they got home, you know, something would be wrong. I don't know if they maybe had an issue that they didn't want to disclose at the redeployment platform or whatever. But they get home and after, you know, maybe four to six months or something, they would have an issue that would not be addressed by the military because there was no clear link. And so we were able to work, and MOA was very, very much at the forefront of this, but we were able to get all of that taken care of to where our soldiers now have benefits that go beyond. You know, we initially had benefits that only went, I believe it was like 60 to 90 days, and now I know both 180 and out, and then now you can buy it, pay for it yourself, and keep benefits. So, you know, without MOA and the powerful lobbying, I will tell you that that may not have happened. The other thing that MOA has very, very important and very impacted on is the fact that, you know, the components change all the time. I mean, they're always evolving where we have different force structure and more in the active army and less in the reserve. Like you might have more infantry in the active component and less. But one of the things that uh, MOA does, and in fact, in their current legislation, is they're looking at the billets that are available because apparently, we're close, and I didn't know this until I read the most recent issues, is that we are considering, we in Congress, considering the reorganization where we're decreasing the number of billets, that we, medical billets that we have. And I can tell you, we need more medical billets, billets all the time. Sometimes it's hard to get them filled, but uh, when you do, you keep those docs and those nurses for a long, long time. And so that's a great thing. And the other thing, and I'll stop talking about healthcare, but that's kind of my issue. But the other thing is that healthcare oftentimes can be very remote. So when you get out of the military, you get out of that Fort Hood and you stay in the Fort Hood proper, if you will, then you can go back and you can get the military coverage right there at Fort Hood. But if you do not do that, and you move to a place like Sacramento, where I live now, Elkwood in Sacramento, and most of the military is left, then you, you don't have the ability to just go to various military installations. And so that's another thing that MOA is doing, making sure that you have your outreach resources that are available via civilian versus military. 
Yeah, and that healthcare thing that you talked about, I listened to the spouse angle and she interviewed someone and I'll go find that and I'll link to it in the show notes where she was talking specifically about how they're trying to change the billets and they're trying to make it so there's like more outsourcing, which is, like you said, it's the opposite of what the military needs. And I know that that Moa is advocating and working to make sure that the right thing is done for military families. So that's an important thing to bring up because I remember listening to that episode and being like, what are they doing? <laughs> and You don't think about it because you think when you join the military and if you do 20 years, okay, you have health care for life. Well, yeah, but you might have health care in Alaska and you live in California. I'm exaggerating, but, you know, it's not readily available. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So why should service members and veterans get involved in MOA and become members? Because MOA represents very broadly every service member out there. Because here's the beauty of MOA. MOA is an organization that is predominantly staffed with prior military members. And those military members have lived the life, if you will. And therefore, they know what it was like when they were in the military. They know what benefits they had available to them. And so when they talk to a younger serving member who is about to get out or who's in the military and having concerns, oftentimes they've encountered that issue. Maybe not very specific, not the specific issue, but they're familiar with it. And so they can help people along the way. And therefore, I feel like their focus is very, very on point because they are not civilians who are running a military organization. They are military who are out there advocating for other military. So, you know, they basically walk the walk and talk the talk. And so I greatly appreciate that. And I think that if other service members that are looking for information or find that they don't know where to go, then MOA is a place where you can start. And, and I will guarantee anybody who joins and who gets any type of information from them, they will then want to know more and they will use MOA as a resource. Yeah, and you can go to www.moaa.org slash for the people to sign up. And the coolest part about MOA, at least I think it's cool, is that the, the basic membership is free. So you can get involved and you don't even have to give money. And then they have higher levels of membership that get you like the magazine and more resources. But just to get the information, that's free. And so I think everyone who's eligible should check it out and join. I agree. And, you know, you will find that there's information in Mo- for MOA is vast because you will find the whole lobbying issues about force structure, about health care, about educational benefits, all the way down to the type of benefits that are critical oftentimes to spouses who are, you know, they're with their, their spouse. They go to an installation while the military member gets there and for the most part, hits the ground running because they get there, they're assigned to a unit, they have a job, they know what they have to do, whereas the spouse doesn't necessarily, you know, adapt that quickly because they have to find out the resources, the child care, the so forth, the different schools that are available, if their schools on post, etc. And MOA has information that is encompassing that will kind of help the spouse orient him or herself also. Yeah, that's a good point. It's not just for the service member. It's also for the family and the spouses through all the information that they have available. And that's so important. So what's the first step that someone who decides to join MOA should take if they want to get involved? Well, I think the first thing is to join 
get the magazine, get the information, read it, and look at it and see what interests you. For me personally, we write on a regular basis. My husband and me are always, my husband especially, I may be the author, but I'm going to say I'm the silent partner, if you will. But my husband is always writing letters to different members, you know, and we do it to advocate for whatever is concerning to us. Not necessarily something that specifically benefits us, but something that's concerning to us. So if you have a new service member considering joining, well, then they join, they look and they can determine to what degree they want to be involved and how they want to be involved. Or if they just want to be a consumer of information, and then they can pass that information on and therefore other people will be able to. Yeah, I think that's great. Do you have any other advice or anything that we should talk about from MOA that we didn't cover? Well, I don't think that it's advice necessarily, but one thing that's good about MOA, I will tell you another thing that is critically important is mentorship. And you don't get the personal mentorship, if you will, but when you read MOA, what you do is when you read the information from MOA, you learn about other people's experiences and you have a person that is providing information that you can benefit from. So to me, it's a form of mentorship and you will be able to maybe read more about what the president of MOA is saying or about what the board member is saying. But oh, you get a form of mentorship by getting the information and looking at the different people that are in charge because the people that serve in the various positions they have names, they have titles, they have bios, they have et cetera. And you can look at that and you can you can get mentorship if you will. Because I always look when I'm reading stuff, I'll I'll Google that person and learn just a little bit about what they go. Oh, well they did oh, they served in Africa. Well, I was in Africa, you know, and, and so it's just a good, solid organization that I think advocates for the serving members past and present. That's so true. And I think I think the military has this really good tight community where you can use resources like that to get connected with people, see their names, look them up on LinkedIn and get connected with them and get that mentorship. So that's the podcast is all about mentorship. So that's really exciting to talk about. And I'm really glad you added that last point in there. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come and talk to me about MOA. And just thank you so much. Thank you very much. I know you served. And so thank you very much for your service. And I believe you told me your husband is still serving. He is, yes. And it's, it's wonderful that you have this dual service member organization. So you have a great day and thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Thank you. listening to this week's episode of Women of the Military Podcast. Do you love all things Women of the Military Podcast? Become a subscriber so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a review. It really helps people find the podcast and helps the podcast to grow. Are you still listening? You could be a part of the mission of telling the stories of military women by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash women of the military or you can order my book Women of the Military on Amazon. Every dollar helps helps to continue the work I am doing. Are you a business owner? Do you want to get your product or service in front of the Women of the Military podcast audience? Get in touch with the Women of the Military podcast team to learn more. All the links on how you can support Women of the Military podcast are located in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and for your support.